0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC.
1: Back, is, back in the good old days, it was sort of a lot of things just got pushed to compliance. Um, and that's no longer could be the case. Welcome to
0: the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher, I'm the editor of the Australian Compliance Institute. And today we have a new guest on the podcast, uh, Richard Sheldon, principal at Adderock Consulting. Welcome to the podcast, Richard.
1: Well, thank you, Kwame. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So today we're going to have a little chat about compliance. You know, we've had a lot of issues based podcasts in sort of the past, but it's good to sort of, I don't want to say get back to the basics, but fundamentals is probably a more essential word in this particular discussion. But maybe we get started about you, Richard. Who are you? Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background.
1: Yeah, thanks for me. So um, I've been working in risk and compliance for roughly 30 years. Um, I'm an Australian uh, qualified lawyer, but I've actually spent pretty close to the last 30 years in Europe and predominantly in London. And the last 20 of that, I ran the compliance division for Royal Bank of Canada for Europe and APAC and also the global wealth management business. And just to put that into a bit of context, because I know RBC is not a household name here. Uh, RBC is the 10th biggest bank in the world. Its um, wealth management division is the sixth biggest in North America. And I sort of describe it as sort of a bit like Commonwealth Bank with Macquarie bolted on. It's got 96,000 people um, and it's um, a bit of an unknown beast. It's quite complex and um, touches numerous regulators around the world.
0: Excellent. And you've already mentioned, you know, your different jurisdictional experience. So I'm going to just jump straight into it. You know, you know, what are some of the challenges that you have seen, you know, throughout the different jurisdictions to GRC and are some of them perennial or some of them specific to those jurisdictions?
1: Well, I think I think it's across the board, like just the sheer pace of regulatory change and regulatory fatigue, uh, particularly for banks and financial institutions in the UK because they had a very rough GFC. And I think a lot of what we're seeing now, be it FAR, CPS 511, CPS 230, that did come in earlier into the UK. So it's sort of settled down a little bit, but there is a lot of regulatory fatigue, I think across the board. I think second point is just the increased regulatory expectation on compliance officers risk officers the board just continues to be ratcheted up and i haven't seen that it's that's not relenting in any way and then i think sort of third one there has been i think there is still a, a lack of real understanding between what is first line second line and to a lesser degree third line responsibility and accountability And i think Each organisation does it slightly separately. I think, I mean, differently. I think, you know, there's no real clarity from the regulators on this. And I think that causes a lot of anxiety and confusion across a lot of banks, super funds and insurance companies.
0: Yeah, sure and i know you said across the board but are you seeing this those challenges as as well as that sort of misunderstanding of where those lines sit with an organization in australia since you've been back here
1: uh yes and i think i think you know there has been a huge amount of regulatory change having to go through organizations since the royal commission um but i think now with this new wave coming on this is going to be exacerbate some of those issues and i think There's a real opportunity to learn from the UK and Europe in relation to how institutions have implemented similar regulation and particularly in relation to how you operationalise them and sort of pitfalls and mistakes that people have made or good practice because I would say this, every organisation is different and you do need tailored solutions and you really need to think, What is the purpose of the regulation and how is the best way to calibrate that to your individual organisation?
0: Excellent. Well, you know, this podcast is too short for us to necessarily solve all of those challenges. But I think we agreed before the podcast that we'd, we'd have a bit of a chat about the sort of delegation of duty for the compliance professional, I guess, as, as one of those ways of tackling some of the challenges. So I guess, how would we define this delegation of duty? And can you give some broad examples of what that might look like?
1: Yeah, sure. Like, as an executive, you've got a number of key responsibilities, what you're what you're accountable for depending on the size of the organisation you're not going to be able to undertake all those component parts of your accountability so you have to allocate them to various members of your teams and direct reports Uh, and then you have to make sure that they're actually being done because at the end of the day the ultimate risk for making sure they're implemented correctly vests with you as the compliance officer So it's really breaking down your role into its component parts and then allocating them to people within your team to execute those. So by way of example, in my role of head of compliance for Europe and APAC, and particularly for the UK side, my regulated accountability was for compliance with the regulatory regime applicable to our... Capital markets, wealth management, and fund services businesses. So that's quite a broad, well, that's quite a broad area. So then it was looking at breaking that down into the key parts of that mandate, which is what we did have was advice, which is giving advice and training and policy development to the business, and that was for all three business lines. Oversight monitoring and testing, and that's the key surveillance aspects of that. Privacy regulatory change and that's a sort of a key issue Uh, employee compliance which is you know the aspects of pa dealing conflicts um, where that's more internal to the organization itself Uh, and then reporting and governance which is you know in these roles and needing to provide assurance to stakeholders the boards and regulators that's quite a key area
0: Oh, excellent. And, you know, talking about that as a key area, what are some of the significant challenges that a compliance professional might sort of face in trying to get this delegation of duty peace right?
1: First of all, it's a lack of clarity of your role. Now, it can be compliance, I'm sure, can be a really broad church as to what you're responsible for. And I think making sure that it is clearly understood that and this is normally which vests with compliance, that you're responsible for the ASIC rules primarily and those that relate to how the business conducts itself with customers and the markets. Um, so, just as an example, what I did, I came up with a definition of compliance risk and made sure that it was quite clear that this was not prudential mm. and only related to those aspects. So, that's sort of that's the first step area a lack of clarity for what you are accountable for as a whole second is the shared accountability which you can't get away from and particularly areas of cultural conduct risk or whistleblowing where you'll be expected normally to play a role really narrowing down as to what you are responsible for before you start delegating that out to your um, direct reports and key people within your department. Um, I think next one is there's a lack of acceptance by people that they actually want to undertake this because, you know, there is a lot of there is a lot of accountability that rides with this. You are expected to perform. And in this day and age, you know, there's consequences if you're not meeting those high standards. So some people don't want to take the role and that is something that needs to be developed. And you also have that where You have sometimes a non-acceptance that something that you may think fits within another function (laughs) is not compliance. That's that's more of a broader aspect. The other key things is you have to have competent people to be able to undertake it. So that you just can't delegate to someone, you have to be able to have a rationale as to why you're delegating to that individual and that they are competent. Next one is capacity. Like you cannot Delegate to an individual who does not have capacity to undertake the work. So I think making sure it's the right fit, people will accept it clearly documented, has to be clearly documented, and then you need to perform oversight of the delegated accountability. It is not a set and forget, and this is fundamental. At the end of the day, the accountability always goes back to the approved person, the compliance officer. So you need to be able to demonstrate how you've delegated that accountability because if something does go awry or does go wrong and you haven't performed oversight of that or you have delegated to a person who does not have the capacity or competence to do it, then you failed to take reasonable steps to make sure you're managing your department as it should be.
0: I feel like this is absolutely on theme since we were just talking before the recording about the far waiting for royal Assent, and you know accountability is a big part of that piece for organizations.
1: It is, and I think it also has close ties with c p s five eleven because you know if there is an issue, someone normally in the new regime uh, there might be consequences for your remuneration result of that. And if it's not clear that you were or were not were not accountable for that, that can have repercussions. And I think and we've seen in at your conference where Theresa McCarthy hockey spoke, you know this whole thing about accountability and making sure that the board is clear as to who has accountability for operational resilience, that's another key area. So if you take a step back from the regime and where this came from, it was as a result of the GFC and particularly in the UK the, the regulators there could not actually take action against individuals because there was a lack of clarity as to who was accountable. So the whole regime of FAR, which came from SMCR, was that if there is an issue, the regulators can come in and in, take action and investigate against a specific person or division if there is a failure to have that lack of clarity or there's failure to have that clarity as a result of implementing far or bare then the organization as a whole has failed and that sits with the ceo so it is a very simple but effective regime because at the end of the day if there isn't the requisite clarity that goes back up to the ceo or the board And if there is, then you need to be able to show that you have discharged your accountability and evidence that, and showing that you've given the component parts to that people that are competent, have capacity, and that you show an oversight for those delegated roles is key.
0: So we talk about that competence and capacity. I'm curious, is there anything that should never be delegated in the context of a compliance professional?
1: you can't delegate outside your department. And I think um, it is – I think you can delegate, but you have to have the controls for the oversight for that. And I think um, an area which is – will pop up with CPS 230 is if you've outsourced your privacy surveillance or your any of your surveillance or systems, KYC on the AML front, you know – delegation is also outsourcing so making sure that that is effective and like a key area i'll give an example of here is if you've got surveillance systems but you're not making sure they're calibrated and there's a process to calibrate them and are actually picking up what they're meant to be picking up that is a failure for you as the chief compliance officer in actually having that very important assurance role undertaken even though it would sit with the head of surveillance you need to have those reports provided to you on a t- on a reasonable time frame and I used to have that quarterly to make sure that fundamental part of the compliance program is working appropriately
0: that's excellent and so you know you've mentioned a few things there you you brought up the KYC under the AML-CTF Act and there are amendments coming through for that soon maybe next year not really sure when that's gonna play out you know we see far waiting in the lines for the royal ascent and i guess considering this you know you talked about the the rate of regulatory change at the beginning of this podcast and i guess considering what is coming and what is changing how do you think this process of delegation of duty for the compliance professional might shift in the future
1: i'm not sure if it will shift it just needs to be clear and robust and i think Sort of the biggest challenge is making sure, as we sort of said discussed at the outset, is real real clarity as to what you, as the compliance officer, is accountable for. Because I, you know, and I think this has evolved. That you know, back back in the good old days, it was sort of a lot of things just got pushed to compliance, um, and that's no longer could be the case. But you've got with the remuneration requirements under CPS five eleven. There's a lot of new obligations on hr and chief people officers and you know there needs to be real clarity there whistleblowing is another area where there needs to be clarity and i think assurance and what is the role between first and second line in relation to because i know some of the bigger organizations have an assurance function within first line some of it sits in second line who is responsible for that is really important to get there so you know, I'm not sure if it's going to change, but I think it needs it needs to be robust. Um, because, and hopefully you won't be in that position, but if you're ever defending what you've done in an enforcement action or you know an undertaking, these are the things that you're going to need to initially fall back on to determine whether you're actually the right person to be put under scrutiny in the first place.
0: Sure. Well, for our listeners, our Governance risk, and Compliance listeners, do you have any words of wisdom, any, I don't want to use the word advice, because that might be taken as another thing, but words of wisdom for those who are listening, who are just trying to figure out how to get this piece right?
1: Yeah, I think, just, um, sorry if I'm repeating myself here, clarity of your role is key. Ensuring that that is documented is fundamental. Um, I would work and I've I've done work for people actually in Australia on defining what is compliance risk Mm. and what is their mandate and how that sort of fits within the broader organisation and make sure there's clarity in that in between first and second line. Regulatory change is also another key area which I think there's um, can be confusion as to who is accountable and particularly that raises its head post-implementation. And there may be issues, be that on, and you can see that in trade and transaction reporting or other areas, you know, which you think should fit in the front line or in the operations team, and that hasn't really been documented. Um, we've mentioned prudential versus conduct, assurance, whistleblowing, risk culture, remuneration. They're sort of the key things I'd make a list of. And, you know, really look at your role currently and ask the questions is it clear that I'm not accountable for that and sort of going back to FAR you know there's not a lot of clarity in relation to what has been produced so far as responsible you know from an approved person for compliance and even the uh, functional areas that ADIs which were published recently I think in July by both APRA and ASIC which is consultation so there's not a lot of detail on this and i think getting that detail and making sure it's clear and agreed and that can vary between organisations is the way i'd be going if i was undertaking the role and this is what i have learned from things popping up during my you know 30 odd year career but particularly since 2016 where this regime applied to me as you know the chief compliance officer for some very sizeable businesses in the uk
0: Sure. Well, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, Richard. Pleasure. Uh, hopefully you have me in the podcast again soon.
1: Okay. Have a good day.
0: This podcast has been a production of the Australian Compliance Institute, and the music was done by Rob Neary.